Today I'm going to share a message from the book of Job. I trust most of you know about this book, about Job's life, all the difficulties he went through, the suffering, also his patience, as the New Testament points it out. But for those of you who are not familiar with this book, I will go over some of the important details or the background of this book. Then I will get to the, today's message. Chapter 1, we read, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. The word shun means he stayed away from evil. This is the first verse of the book of Job, and the following verses, it tells us about all the possessions of Job. He was a wealthy person. He had many flocks and herds and servants and whatnot. He had a wife, seven sons, and three daughters. Past that point, it tells us that his sons regularly got together, feasting, eating, and drinking with their sister. Right after the feasting, Job had this habit of offering sacrifices for each one of them. He was thinking that maybe during their feast, when their heart was merry or maybe drunk, they sinned against the Lord and they cursed the Lord. So for this reason, Job was offering sacrifice for each of his children. But he himself was upright. He was a righteous person. Now, the time that he lived, I remember from my past research about him, all the scholars tell us that he lived during the time of the patriarch, that is, during the time of, let's say, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The reason they say this, and it's also known that this is one of the oldest books in the Bible. That means Book of Job was written before, let's say, the first five books of Moses. The reason they say that, because there's no mention of any of the Mosaic law in this book. And in fact, the sacrifices that Job was offering, thinking, just in case if my sons sinned, if you go through all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, there is no such thing. There is no provision for some sacrifice like this for just in case if they sinned, this is what the Lord said, but there isn't. Because of all this, we know the time he lived before the Mosaic log, and probably, if it's true, during the time of the patriarchs. That's his story as the Bible begins talking about Job and his possessions, his family, his character, and all. As you go along reading the first chapter, the next thing we read, that one day all the sons of God came to present themselves to God. Now, the sons of God in this book of Job refers to the angels. And he says that Satan came along to present himself. Chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, stays away from evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? around his household and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. If you go past this point reading it, Satan went out and in a very short period of time, one after another, he just destroyed everything that Job had. 
all his possessions, his herds, servants. He also killed all his sons and his daughters. These messengers came one by one telling him that this happened, that happened, all your servants are dead, all your children are dead, your herds, this, that, everything is gone. The first thing Job did after hearing all this, we read that he tore his clothes, he shaved his head, sat down and put ashes and sackcloth, and the Bible says he worshipped the Lord. He said, naked I came, naked I will go. God gave and God took. And he worshipped the Lord in all these things that happened. We read that he did not sin accusing God for any wrongdoing. You come to the second chapter. There was another day that the sons of God came to present themselves. Again, Satan came. And this is what we read in chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. Remember, the first time the Lord said, He is in your hands, but do not touch the person. In that first phase, Satan could not even pluck a hair from Job. And I always said this, how God is in control and he has the last word. He could not touch Job. The second time, you know, Satan said, well, as long as they have their health, all is well. But take the health away from them, he will curse you at your face. Well, he said, he's in your hands, but not kill him. Do not touch his life. What Satan did gave him such a sickness. He gave him boils, tumors, from top of his head to the soles of his feet. His physical condition was so bad. I gathered this again when his friends, three friends, came to see him. You know, from the far off, they saw him. They started crying. They came and sat down where Job was sitting. For seven days, they sat there. They couldn't open their mouth. That's how bad physical condition of Job was. And I'm saying his physical condition was just a notch higher than a dead body. The rest of the story of Job, you go past chapter 2, his three friends, they try to console him, give him courage as he's going through the suffering. If I can sum up everything that these three friends said, from chapter 3 all the way to the end of chapter 37, up to chapter 38, is the conversation between Job and his three friends, and later on a younger person comes in, Elihu, and he gets into the conversation. From chapter 3, Job began complaining, complaining and complaining. He did not sin against the Lord, but he was complaining. He was saying things like this, Curse be the day that I was born. Curse be the milk my mother gave me. I wish I was a stillborn child, he says not seeing the light of the day. He just went on and on like this. These three friends, they began speaking to him one by one. And if I can sum up everything that they said in few words, they told Job, it's because of sin in your life that you're suffering. And God is punishing you because of your sin. That's the just of what these three friends said from chapter 3 onward until end of chapter 37. 
You know, if you read this conversation between the friends and the Job, you think they're saying something with wisdom. After all, you're reading the Bible. You think if one of his friends is talking, you think that this is the Bible, so he's saying something right. But they weren't. They were just accusing him that you must have sinned in your life, and because of that, God is punishing you. And that's just the bulk of the writings in the book of Job. Now, you come to the chapter 42, which is the end of the book of Job. This is what God said to Job's friend. Chapter 42, I'm going to read from verse 7. And so it was, after the Lord spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, that's Job's friend, one of them, he said, My wrath aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me, not of Job. He said, You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Verse 8, Now therefore, take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up yourself a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Folly means foolishness, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Man, I love the way God says, as my servant Job has. What was it that they said it was wrong, that God is against them at this point? He said, before I arouse my anger against you, he said, take seven bulls and rams, have burnt offering, and my servant Job will pray for you, for me to forgive you. What was it that they said of God that God did not like? All they said was, they were telling Job that you sinned, and God is punishing you for that. And that is exactly what God said to his friends, that you did not speak of me what is right as my servant Job did. If you say something to the servant of the Lord, you're touching God himself. That's how protective he is towards his own. In Job 23.10, this is what Job says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Deep in his heart, you begin to understand that he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. He knows the reason he's going through all this is not because God is punishing him. Rather, he says, when I'm tested, I will come out refined. I mean, all the suffering that he went through had to do to being refined in the hands of the Lord to come out of what he was as a righteous person to be in the right track with God who created him. It's the purifying process that the Lord has to go through with some of his own to get to that point. From this verse, you can get that somehow Job knew what was happening, but his friends didn't know. Here's the interesting thing. After chapter 37, God started speaking to Job. And this is what he says. This is Job 38. And God said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself as a man. Boy, I love this verse. Prepare yourself as a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. 
or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 6, to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid the, its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? You know, for three chapters, all the way to chapter 42, 38, 39, 40, 41, more chapters. God, when he started speaking to Job, he didn't answer any of the questions that Job had. He began telling Job about all his creation. He talked about the sea that I told the waves to come thus far at the shore, but not anymore. This is how he controls the oceans, the seas. He talks about the stars, the moon, and the sun. He talks about the constellations, Pleiades, Orion. And in some of the things that he said is so detailed, you get to enjoy that God is in control of his creation, how meticulously he designed. What a delicate balance is there in this universe and all. You go past the bigger part of his creation, you come down, he speaks of some of the animals. He talks about the lions, the cubs. He talks about untamable donkeys. They're free, they're roaming around in the desert. He says, I created them like this. You can't tame them. Each one God created the way he created them. He says that he gives uh, food to the ravens and the little ones that ravens has. They open their mouth, they're crying out for food, and God feeds them. How much he cares for every little animal he created. He talks about the birds. He talks about hawk. He talks about eagle. And then he comes and talks about the ostrich. Apparently, ostrich, according to what I read from Job, is a bird that doesn't care about the eggs she lays. God says, do you know that she lays her legs on the sand and just walks away, not being aware of that somebody can come or something can come and crush them under their foot? But he says, I created ostrich in this way. You see, he created everything in a specific way. And what is so beautiful in this, everything that God says, that he's in charge. He's at his throne, and he's controlling, and he's just holding everything by what he says. Every little thing. By the time you get to chapter 38, you read that God started talking to Job, you would think that God would say something about, listen, Job, this is the reason why you're going through this suffering as you do. I'm just thinking. God would say, listen, Job, this is what happened. One day the sons of God came, the angels. This happened, that happened, and this is the reason you're going to suffer. But no, there is no such a thing in what God said. As I said earlier, he just talked about his creation and how much he cares. Here I am. There's something that I couldn't understand in the book of Job. This is for years. From chapter 42, when God stopped talking to Job, this is what Job said. Chapter 42, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Verse 5, this is what Job said. I have heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye, single eye, sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word abhor means detest. I detest myself. I hate myself. 
I repent in dust and ashes. Here's the part I didn't understand all these years. What did you see? As far as I'm concerned, I'm reading chapter 38, 39, 40, 41. God is talking about his creation. Some time ago, I, this is on the side. This verse from the book of Acts stood up for me. Apostle Paul says this, speaking about Jesus and the Jews of his time. He says, they did not know him. That means they did not know Jesus. Then what he says is this, nor the voice of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. You see, every Sabbath they were reading from their Bible. The voice of the prophets is the voice of our Lord Jesus throughout the Bible. They did not know him, nor the voice of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. When that verse stood up for me, when I read it, I realized here I am listening to the Bible almost every day, five, six times a week. I don't want to fall into the category of these people reading the Bible, but not hearing the voice of the Lord. And I have made a habit praying whenever I just go out the door for a walk and listening to the Bible. I'm praying, Lord, I want to hear your voice through what I'm hearing from the Bible. I want to have wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking something strange. Apostle Paul prayed for Ephesian believers for God to open their understanding that God would give them wisdom to know Jesus in every which way you can think of, his breadth, his length, his height and depth. When I'm saying I'm praying, I'm not doing something strange. I just want to hear the voice of the Lord throughout the Bible when I'm hearing. Here I am, I'm saying, Lord, I don't understand. I don't get what Job got to see. So, right in the middle of this chapter that God was speaking, I remember the verse from Matthew chapter 6, from the Beatitudes. I'm going to read that for you. Matthew 6, from verse 28. Jesus said, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? I'm listening to Job, and I remember this verse from Matthew. This verse opened up for me to begin to understand what God was doing to Job. You see, what Jesus said is simply this. How beautiful the lilies are. In his design, not just lilies, you take any flower that God has designed. There's so many of them. He says, not even Solomon was dressed like one of these lilies. This is how majestic it is the way God created these lilies. Now I'm thinking about Solomon. He was the richest king ever lived on the face of this earth. He had a lavish life that no other person lived like him. I know this by what the Bible says about him and the queen of Sheba that came to see Solomon and hear his wisdom. When she came to see Solomon, when she saw the setting of the table, this is, the, let's say, the dinner table, all the plates, cups, utensils, or what have you, and the clothing of the servants, those who were waiting on the table, when she saw all that, the Bible says there was no breath in her. 
Bible doesn't even talk about what Solomon was wearing. If that was the servants that took the bread of Queen of Sheba, just think how majestic Solomon's clothing was. Here the Lord Jesus says, if God cares for this lily, one flower, today is here, tomorrow is in the oven, how much more he would care for you? And that just opened up for me to see what God was saying in four chapters is simply this. I care for my creation. I care for my creation, every bit of it. And man is the chief creation, God's chief creation. I mean, you would think that the, this whole universe is just because of man he created. What is man you're so mindful of him, the psalmist says. Man is his chief creation. If he cares for the, the free donkey or the eggs of the ostrich, if he feeds the little ones of the ravens or the lion's cubs here and there, because he cares, this is his creation, how much more he would do it for you? He was telling Job, Job, I'm with you. I haven't abandoned you. I have heard of you by hearing of ear, but now my eye sees you. What did he see? Did he see God? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, God just spoke to him. What did he see? You see, past this point, I just allowed the New Testament interpret book of Job. In Gospel of John chapter 14, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, just show us the Father, that'll be enough. Jesus was surprised when Philip said that. He said, Philip, I've been with you all this time. You're still asking, show us the Father. Don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? You cannot. Nobody can see the Father except through Jesus Christ. If Job says, now my eye see you, that means he's seeing the Lord Jesus. This is one of the mysteries in the Old Testament. You come to the book of Hebrews. He talks about Moses, how he saw Jesus. I mean, this is so wonderful. Or all the patriarchs. Somehow or another, they all came to see Jesus because he's central in God's creation. I have heard of you, but now I see. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega. That's Greek alphabet, the beginning and the, the last one. With the beginning of the alphabet, A or Aleph or Alpha, we cry, Abba. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. Through me, you can cry, Abba, to the Father. That's so biblical in any sense. If Job saw God, he saw the Lord Jesus in all his search. And that's the incredible part of the book of Job that I began to see as God spoke to him and why he spoke to him about his creation and all the animals. All he was saying, I care. I care for you in so many different ways. I am with you all the way to the end. And that is exactly how God communicated with him, and he came to see our Lord Jesus in, in all of this. There is no other way to see God unless through our Lord Jesus. I have heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. In chapter 23, verse 3, this is what Job said. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. He's talking about God. He says, only if I knew where his dwelling is and I would go to him. He's searching. He wants to know where God dwells. Where do you think God dwells? Where is the dwelling of God? In Christ. 
So Job, by saying this, he was reaching again into the New Testament covenant that God has. It's so amazing to see how he was searching. He knew he is a man. He knew who God was, but there was no, nobody in between. He wanted a relationship. Job 9.33, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. You see how he's reaching for someone that will take a hold of Job's hand and God's hand and put him together? Who is that person? Jesus. Job 14.14, he says, If a man dies, shall he live again? When everything was good before all the trouble came, all the suffering came, he never maybe thought about death because he was righteous, he had a right standing according to his spirituality, but now he's in a very bad situation. Now he's questioning, is there life after death? People in the Old Testament, they didn't believe there was life after death. Even during the New Testament, Pharisees believed there'll be a resurrection and life after death, but the Sadducees, half the religious people of that order, did not believe that there was life after death. So it's not uncommon for the Old Testament not to believe it. And here, he doesn't know much about every detail that we know from the Bible. He's questioning, is there life after death? Again, he's searching and his answer is always our Lord Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He's the answer. There is a life after death, but there's a resurrection on the horizon. Every bit of thing that Job was crying out, the answer is our Lord Jesus, one after another. Here's a verse from 1 Timothy, 2nd chapter, verse 5. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There is only one man, the mediator between God and people. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here's the mediator, always interceding, even now sitting at the right hand of God as a mediator for everyone. Here's the answer for Job's searching and question. It is our Lord Jesus, and that's who he came to see. He was a righteous person. Again, I let the New Testament interpret the Old. Apostle Paul says, no one can be justified by works. And this man was justified by works. Being in the body of Adam, you're already a sinner. Whether you did something or not, you're already in the body of Adam. You're carrying all the load of everything that the body of Adam has. No one can be justified by works except justified by faith in Christ. And that's how everybody is saved. Being justified by faith in Christ Jesus. When you make Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're justified, you have right standing with God, and there is no other way. You see, all the suffering Job went to make this incredible righteous person from his righteous standing to someone who has a right standing with God, that he will not take anything less than Christ Jesus, his son. That's what God was doing, and that's why God allowed all this happen. Because it's so difficult to convince a righteous person like him that he did everything good, 
Some of the things that he says about him, I mean, none of us even come close the way his character was. But after all, he was righteous by works, and God wanted to have a spiritual righteousness and have right standing with God all the time. I'm going to finish at this point. We have a communion. I will ask the ushers to guide you to take the elements for communion. I will add some more to say, and we will take the elements together, the bread and the wine. The last time we took communion together, if you remember, it was at the Zoom meeting in January, and I was speaking from uh, Peter's letters. And one of the things that has stayed with me uh, since then is when he says, coming to Jesus as living stones. I said, it's one way coming to Jesus our Lord, because he said, as often you do this, remember me. Apostle Paul quoting our Lord Jesus, he says, as often as you do it, remember the Lord Jesus until he comes. So this is what we do until he comes. Whether he comes during our lifetime or we go to him makes no difference. But I'm saying this will continue the rest of our lives as we come to our Lord Jesus as living stones, not dead stones. We all go through difficulties in life under pressure. You know, sometimes uh, we're depressed. All kinds of things happen. You come to him as living stones full of life, his life, not your life. I mean, if I look at my life, you know, I can be depressed because of this or that reason, because not everything goes well along what I want. But I have his life. I'm coming to him as a living stone. That's the ground I'm standing on. When I'm saying I'm standing on, you all as believers in Christ are standing on. If you come to him depressed, I'm sure he doesn't like it. Do you think he would like if you come to him depressed? I've talked about this many times. God says, never come to my presence empty-handed. To Job, in that condition, he says, act like a man. I will ask you a question, you answer. In my human mind, I'm saying, leave him alone. He's going through a lot of difficulties. He can't even stand up. He says, act like a man. I remember this story in the book of Joshua. When Joshua was face down on the ground, the commander of the army of the Lord says, what are you doing, your face on the ground? He says, get up, stand up. I'm saying this not only by the scriptures that I'm sharing with you, but my personal experience with the Lord. He doesn't want to see depressed because of this or that in your life. He wants you to be on the ground of what he has promised you and act like that. To Job he said, now prepare yourself like a man. Here today I'm saying this, you're coming to the presence of the Lord, act like a man, prepare yourself like a man. Come, if you're depressed, set that aside. The Lord is not depressed. He's not sick. I am sick. That's why we come to the table to get the healing. The answer of everything in your life is Christ Jesus. That's what I learned this last time as I went through the book of Job. Past chapter 3, you don't hear the name of Satan in the book of Job. You don't hear his name. But he's there. He's there behind every person, the three friends, accusing Job because you sinned, you're being punished by God. He's behind that thought. That's the last thing you need, somebody close to you, like the wife. He says, why don't you curse God and die? Still keeping your integrity with him? Curse God and die. Who wants that? Your spouse come tell you in that situation. That's the enemy working through the, those people close to you to put you down. 
if you buy what the enemy is selling, what is he selling? God is punishing you. If you buy that, you're done. But you don't have to buy what the enemy is saying. Every question you have, Jesus is the answer. Whether you're sick today, whether financial difficulties, whether it's depression, sickness of our mind, sickness of the body, everything, whatever it is, He is the answer. And that's what I learned as I went through the book of Job in this last time around. Now, I want to say this, prepare yourself as a man. Of course, you understand, it is the gender neutral. I'm not talking about just men. Prepare yourself as a human being, I will say, and come forward and take these elements and remember our Lord Jesus until he come. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you until the end of this age. Amen? Let's take it together in Jesus' name.